This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Thursday, November 12th, 2020 edition of Invest Talk, and I appreciate you all tuning in for this hour. I'm excited to help you along in your journey to making smart money decisions, not just investment decisions, but money decisions as well. We all get caught up in, you know, the next great opportunity, the next adjustment to your portfolio, but that's only one side of the ledger. The only way that you can make money on your investments is to save. And the more you save, the better payoff you're going to have when you do make the right decisions. So that's what we do each and every day on Invest Talk. We've been doing it for over 20 years. Helping people understand good money decisions, good money habits, good investment habits. And I know headlines, especially in today's world, where there's so much chatter, so much information being thrown at you on social media and all the platforms, right, on your phone. You have a computer in your pocket, you're getting notifications. There's so many distractions. And so our job each and every day is to help you distill all of this information down into actionable actionable items that will improve your portfolio, your strategy, your frame of mind. Even when there's uncertainty in the market like there is right now, right? We have obviously election controversy still going on. You have uh, COVID cases surging. You have uh, Congress that is still wavering on a stimulus bill. A lot to unpack. So you need to be prepared for what is ahead, and that's what I'm going to do my best to do. I'm Justin Klein, and on in today's program and podcast, I will do my best to provide you with unbiased answers to your investment questions, whatever is on your mind. I'm going to help you develop strategies, both on the investment side, as well as the spending, as well as the saving side. So I'm ready to take your calls at 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. That's how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Let's take a quick look at the market. S&P was down about 35 points, about 1%. And if you look at the NASDAQ, that was down a little bit less than 1%. So the growth side of market did actually outperform the value as the coronavirus cases in America surge and you you get a little bit more worried. The market's getting a little bit more worried about potential shutdown or at the minimum, more limitations on economic activity, right? Discouraging people from traveling. Uh, multiple states have discouraged people from getting together uh, in you know, multiple households for Thanksgiving. You know, it's basically saying staying within your, your tight-knit group. Uh, certainly that will crimp economic activity. And so... After 
a positive reaction to the election, positive reaction to the Pfizer vaccine news on Monday, you're starting to see a reversal of all that. And uh, I think there's a lot of uncertainty and something that's under talked about taxes. What will happen with taxes going into next year? Remember, the Trump, the, the tax cuts in 2017, they were mainly beneficial to the wealthier, right? That's those. That's where most of the savings went, including corporations. And when you do that, the marginal propensity to save is very high for the wealthy, right? Whereas people with lower incomes, their marginal propensity to spend, meaning every dollar they get in their pocket, is much higher. And so if that reverses, suddenly that's going to be money coming out of the market. So I think that's something that's not talked about quite enough in the market right now. So I'm expecting volatility here through the end of the year as the market tries to make up its mind all the different crosswinds. Okay, so that's uh, that's today was a crosswind of COVID surging and that being a headwind to economic activity. Now, as you can tell, I have a very information-packed podcast for you today. So let's get right to our first caller and talk to Yahir in Chicago. Who wants to talk about his 401k. Hello, Steve. Uh, sorry. Uh, Yahir, you there? How are you? Yeah. Doing well. well and um, what uh, questions do you have in regards to your 401k? Yes. Uh, thank you so much for, for helping me with this. Uh, so I I have a 401k. I don't in- contribute anymore. It's from my previous employee for mm-hmm. over 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. I have a I have there a, a, mm-hmm. over over 19 thousand dollars in 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 that uh, fund already, but uh, I don't see it. I don't see that mm-hmm. it's going the way I want uh, at the moment. It's, it's invested mm-hmm. in some large capital fun that I don't understand very much. I would mm-hmm. like I would like to know if if mm-hmm. I should uh, just wait and keep it uh, invested there until I become sixty five years old, or uh, should I r- try to roll over and move it to another broker where I can have more freedom to invest in in other companies that I would prefer like a Vanguard or like a individual stock. Uh, but I think I would need to pay a penalty if I withdraw the money. Or uh, what should I do? I will appreciate your your, your advice. Sure. Uh, now, this is something that we, the question we get a lot, a lot of people have old 401ks out there, and we help clients like like you all the time roll that money from an old 401k into an IRA. And I think everybody should do that, roll their old 401ks into, into an either an existing IRA or a new IRA. There's no tax consequences uh, as long as you, are moving into that IRA within there's a 60 day window you have to do it but that's usually pretty simple and that opens you up to more options right whereas your 401k you're going to be stuck with whatever funds that uh, that's that plan sponsor has picked right the HR department for your old company and so you're going to be very limited to the options in that plan and so if an IRA was going to open you up to anything, right? An IRA to brokerage firm, you can buy individual bonds, individual stocks, you can you can buy uh, commodities. You can do a lot of different things with uh, your IRA, and that's what I would recommend uh, for you and anyone else out there. Try to consolidate those accounts uh, and get it out of those old 401ks because you're just too limited in your choices. Thanks for the call. You here? You're listening to Invest Talk, and I'm Justin Klein. You can pretend. That winter is not just around the corner, but 
It will soon be here. I think we're, what, about halfway through? Over halfway through uh, the fall. And, yeah, about a month away. A little over a month away from the winter equinox. And then the end of the year. So managing your portfolio and rebalancing it for this new administration, uh, a new economic reality. Maybe post-COVID certainly is an important aspect to your actionable items that you should take going into 2021. So let's talk about what is ever in, that is on your mind. What changes do you think you should make? Run them by me and I can give you some sense of whether that makes sense or not. So we're taking your calls live at 888-99-CHART. You can get your free Invest Talk podcast downloads anytime at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or investtalk.com. Be sure to tell your friends and family members about Invest Talk and encourage them to listen, rate, and review. You're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. And my focus point today concerns this story. Mortgage demand from home buyers has dropped to its lowest level in six months. Very interesting dynamic. I, I talked about the, I've talked before about the surge in movements outside of the major cities and low interest rates, certainly helping with affordability of those moves. But you're starting to bump up against the affordability issues that higher prices have created. So we're going to touch on what's what's happening, at least in the near term, over the last month or so in the housing market more generally for the, the country. And maybe that can inform us on where the market might be headed. And a lot will depend on various factors. So we'll get into that. Also, the fiscal deficit was reported for the month of October, which was actually the first the first month of the next fiscal year for the U.S. government. You would think it it starts in January, but it actually doesn't. It actually starts in the fourth quarter, and that pushes into 2021. So we're going to review what the fiscal 2020 year looks like for the U.S. budget deficit, and then what the first month of the new fiscal year gave us in the form of a deficit. So we're going to touch on that. Next, how to tell if your advisor is a salesperson or an advisor. We're going to touch on what factors will influence that determination. And lastly, stock buybacks. How will stock buybacks influence returns going forward for the markets? Now, let's keep the pace moving and go straight back to the Invest Talk Voice Bank for a call that came in earlier at 888-99-CHART. Hi, Justin and Steve. Uh, thanks for doing the podcast. I'm calling about ConocoPhillips. I invested in the stock about a year ago for exposure in the energy sector and an income dividend strategy. And I wanted to know your insights as to whether this stock is still a good term, good uh, long-term hold, and if the dividend will still be available going forward. I'll be listening to your response on the podcast. Thank you. All right, looking at ConocoPhillips right now. Yields about 4.9%. Its market cap still is hovering, you know, it's, it's a lot lower than it was before, but still about $36 billion, scheduled to lose $0.92 cents this year, but then make $0.65 cents next year. They're going to ebb and flow with the oil market. So this is all about 
in the near term or the medium term what oil prices do. And in the commodity space, especially the oil space, they're what are considered price takers. They take whatever price is in the market, right? And so ConocoPhillips, they, it's all about what their cost of production is, whether they can keep it down or does it continue to rise like it has for the industry as shale has become a bigger part of the industry. Historically, they are one of the better run companies. And your question about their dividend being safe, I'm going to say it actually is for at least the medium term. They only have a modest amount of debt off, $15 billion on a $36 billion market cap, $21 billion in revenue. And historically, they have billions of dollars in free cash flow every year. So one of the better balance sheets in the industry, which I like. I like that fact that their balance sheet is relatively strong. Uh, they're, they're a pretty strong natural gas producer as well. And I like companies that have a little bit heavier natural gas production after years and years of oversupply. I think you're starting to see uh, that shift, especially with the push towards cleaner energy. Right, you have a Biden administration that's probably going to be a little harsher on coal, uh, and the the easiest alternative in the utility space when it comes to like uh, producing electricity from coal is natural gas. Yes, there's going to be push into solar energy and maybe wind energy, etc. But natural gas is a lot cleaner than coal, a lot cheaper than those other cleaner alternatives. And it's still relatively clean. So I like the natural gas space as well. So I like ConocoPhillips. I'm going to say give it a thumbs up. I know you're probably down on it from a year ago, but that's a product of oil prices, not necessarily the underlying company. I like ConocoPhillips. Definitely in my top five of the large oil producers out there. You're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. And for investors, the need to remain vigilant never ends. We know there's a lot of crosswinds in the markets right now, and my job is to help you manage the fear and greed, the reactions to the headlines, and focus on the task at hand, which is executing a strategy that makes sense for you. So let's talk about what is ever that is on your mind. Your participation is an important part of the mix. Please give me a call at 888-99-CHART. Look at the calendar. We are into November and on our way to Thanksgiving and then Christmas. Of course, the holidays may look a little different this year. But now, you've got finance and investment questions? Steve and Justin welcome your calls. Invest Talk, 888 99Chart. Now, my focus point today concerns the story mortgage demand from home buyers has dropped to its lowest level in six months. And I know six months isn't a long period of time, but uh, I think it's an interesting inflection point that we're starting to see in the housing market overall. And even though interest rates, mortgage rates still are near record lows, in fact, the average contract interest rate for a 30-year fixed mortgage rate dropped last week to 2.98% from 3.01%. So we're still uh, are right around that 3% mark overall. And what it showed was that purchase demand fell 3% week over week, still higher by 16% than a year ago, but you're seeing that steadily shrink. 
And the index for purchasing decreased for the sixth time in seven weeks to its lowest level since May. And what's happening here is that the limited housing supply is putting upward pressure on the home prices. So prices are staying elevated, but that is crimping affordability because mortgage rates are no longer dropping. They're staying around that 3% rate. And loan amounts have reached new highs in the last several weeks due to those higher home prices as well as stronger activity on the upper end of the market. Now, refinancing rose about 1% for the week, but 67% higher than a year ago. And this is showing me that even though rates have not really gone up, they've stayed right around that 3% mark, the lack of demand, the lack of actual purchase activity, I know we're getting into the fall, the fall season, but it's telling me that the limits of house, housing price increases are getting close in the, in the near term, right? Remember, long-term, housing prices move with incomes. Short-term, you know, there can be other factors like mortgage rates that influence housing prices, but long-term tends to go up with inflation, which inflation tends to go up with incomes over the longer term. And so, that tailwind of lower interest rates is only going to last for so long, especially when interest rates don't have much more room to go down. And now you're starting to see the 10-year tick up a little bit, right? Pre-election, even though today was down about seven basis points, which was pretty big, right? But pre-election, we were at about 0.75 on the 10-year. We almost hit 1% on, was it Monday? What's it, Thursday? Tuesday, yeah. On Tuesday, we almost hit that 1% level. Now we're at 0.885 back a little bit. Uh, but if we stay above that 0.8 area, I think that's going to continue to put a little upward pressure on those mortgage rates and thus some downward pressure on the housing market. But overall, I think the housing market's fine. I just think you can, you're seeing a slowing in demand and thus prices. Let's go to Noel in Napa looking at RTLR. Let's see what stock that is. RTLR. Yeah, good afternoon, Justin. Uh, yeah, I, well, all I was my, primarily interested in is that it has a hefty dividend, and if you mm-hmm. think it could be safe only for midterm or possible or possibility for a long-term basis. Okay, well, this is Rattler Midstream Limited Partnerships. First thing you have to understand, this is a limited partnership. So this would be taxed at your ordinary income tax rate. Do you know that? I wasn't aware that it was limited. Yeah, that's yeah, good to so know. It's a limited, Thank you. Yeah, so it's a limited partnership. So understand that um, it does pay that fifteen point two percent dividend, but its payout ratio is negative one hundred seventeen percent. Meaning, because it's having a tough time, its business is having a tough time because of lower oil prices. Uh, it's not earning enough, but that's a more of a near-term factor. Their cash dividend pay ratio is 101%, meaning the p- cash flow is positive, but they're paying all of that out in the dividend. Uh, let me see, looking forward though, I'm seeing a 10.5% yield. So it looks like they've cut it. Yeah, they have cut it. Uh, November of last year, they were paying about 34 cents a share. Now they're down to 20 cents a share. Okay, so understand that. 
it's already dropped by about a third. Okay, so clearly this is not going to be a consistent dividend payer. Could they raise it? Sure, they could raise it back up. Their, their balance sheet isn't too bad, uh, but obviously their business is down over the past couple of quarters. Now, could that turn around? Absolutely. But this is not a safe dividend payer. I know you're probably after that nice 15% yield, but they've cut that by a third. So it's really only a 10% yield and it's taxed at your near income tax rate. Are you thinking about this in an IRA or just a standard brokerage account? Standard brokerage account. Okay. So then you don't have to worry about uh, th that IRA rule. But uh, understand the tax consequences of this. And this is not a safe dividend payer. It's going to be all over the board. They could lower it again. You don't know. So don't think that you're going to, don't rely on that 10%. Know that it's a high-risk dividend play. Now, in the next Invest Talk, this story. Investors must decide if an earnings comeback for cyclical stocks will justify their faith. As investors continue to grow more optimistic about an economic recovery in 2021, energy, real estate, and industrials may look like an attractive bet based on earnings expectations. Steve will get to that story tomorrow, but for now, I'm Justin Klein, and I'm and coming up after the break, I have a new Sector Spotlight interview, but the phone lines are open, so I want to hear from you at 888-99-CHART. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication, and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. are listening to Invest Talk. Every Friday on the program and the podcast, Steve Peasley shares highlights from the newest edition of the KPP Premium Newsletter. Listen Fridays to Invest Talk. And now, Steve and Justin welcome your calls and questions. 888-99-CHART. 
Welcome back to Invest Talk, and right now we're going to jump into our sector spotlight series. And this week we're going to touch on skincare. And this week we have a very special guest, Carolina Reese Oliveira, who is the CEO of One Skin. Welcome, Carolina. Hi, Justin. Uh, thank you for having me today. Yeah, no problem. We're excited to have you on to kind of touch on the skincare industry, the trends, and some maybe breakthrough science uh, in, in the medical space. Why don't you give the listeners a brief overview about yourself? I know you have a PhD, uh, as well as OneSkin. Yes, sure. Uh, so I, I'm the co-founder and CEO of OneSkin, and I got a PhD in stem cell biology and tissue engineering. So uh, I'm originally from Brazil, and back in 2014, we started uh, another company focusing on growing human skin to replace animal testing. Um, eventually, we came here to the U.S., and we decided to focus more on the anti-aging market because we saw the massive growth, but we saw a huge need for products that were really uh, founded and based on science and that were targeting the root cause of aging and not only treating the symptoms. So that's the focus of One Skin today. So we are developing uh, a variety of technologies to address the underlying causes of aging. Um, and our first product is designed to treat uh, skin aging at the molecular level. So we have found a new proprietary peptide that helps repairing uh, damage in your skin cells so you can keep your skin um, younger and more functional for longer. Uh, we just launched this first product direct to consumers, but our technology has the potential to be applied to other tissues beyond the skin, and I'm sure that we're going to talk more about that. Yeah, yeah, I know. Why don't we jump right into that? And I, I know that there's a, one public company, United Unity, Tech, and your, that's the only other company that I have seen focus on what are called senescent cells, which are, which from my understanding, and you could probably explain it to our listeners a little bit better, which are cells that are not functioning like normal cells and kind of get in the way of uh, the, the, the healthy cells. So why don't you explain a little bit more on what senescent cells are and what progress the, the industry has made on both the skin as well as the rest of the body when it comes to senescence? Yes, sure. So, uh, senescent cells are cells that have reached like their limit in replication. So, normally mm. a cell uh, replicates around like 50 times and when they reach this limit, they should die, but some of those cells enter in this state of senescence. Uh, so they start secreting inflammatory molecules and this inflammation leads to kind of spreads uh, this, this, the induce other, other cells to become senescent. So it's like a bad apple effect. You have one bad apple and, you know, suddenly mm. you have the whole best, like, you know, uh, rotten. Yeah. So the senescent cells induce this effect. And then because of the inflammation, this leads to tissue dysfunction 
and this leads to several age-related diseases. So what the industry and also the scientists have found is that if we are able to eliminate only these uh, senescence, also called zombie cells, from our tissue, so we can clear them out, we can make room for the young and healthy cells to proliferate. This is a way that we can not only kind of restore the function and the health of the tissue, but we can also treat uh, what we call age-related diseases. So today we have found that most of the diseases that we are trying to treat, such as, you know, cancer, cardiovascular disease, Alzheimer's, they are all related to the accumulation of those cells in our tissues. And a lot of companies are starting with this approach of finding new interventions that can uh, prevent the accumulation of those cells or even eliminate those cells if they are already established in your tissue. And, uh, and Interesting. Yeah, we, so it's so like we, a, you, a you snowball effect. Skin, uh, you, yeah, you mentioned like Unity. Unity is like the pioneer company that has uh, started to, to address this issue and started clinical trials uh, to test what we call stenolytics that are, you know, uh, treatments that induce the death of senescent cells. So you clear those cells out. Uh, so they are the, they were the first one, but after Unity, we have seen like do- dozens of companies with a similar approach. And interesting enough, uh, we have not seen a lot of companies doing, you know, bringing this approach to skincare. And that's the opportunity that we saw for one skin. Uh, initially, we were trying to validate, you know, anti-aging products, and we were seeing that they were not addressing the root cause of aging. And then we decided to use this approach of, you know, eliminating or preventing the accumulation of senescent cells in the skin uh, in a way that would promote skin rejuvenation, you know, from the cellular and molecular level. So they are not, I would say that we are the first company bringing this approach to skincare. We've also seen uh, Stella other partnering with another company to uh, develop molecules targeting senescent cells in the skin, but they are in a much earlier stage that we are. We are already, you know, advancing with a product right now. But we are seeing that this is probably a niche that's gonna start uh, to booming to boom in the, in the next years. And and so the you have a technology that that sounds like well like can you explain the technology that that you have in your product that actually uh, helps eliminate senescent cells on the skin and does it have the potential for other areas of the body as well? Yes. Uh, so the way that we found our proprietary molecule, so we tested over a thousand of uh, peptides. So peptides is a small uh, fragment of a protein, and we evaluated the capacity of those peptides to decrease the number of senescent cells uh, in, in the in the skin. And so we have tested this peptide. Um, and it shows this effect of elimin- 
it's our our peptide is not much eliminating; it's more preventing the accumulation of senescent cells. So, for example, one of the studies that we that we did was to induce senescent cells with UVB radiation because you know photo aging is one of the main causes of skin aging. And then right after we treated mm-hmm. with this peptide, and we saw that we decrease almost like 50% the total number of senescent cells. So we increase the ability of the cell to repair the damage so we don't form more senescent cells. So that's how our technology works. And because it's treating or addressing senescent cells, we believe that it can be applied to other tissues beyond the skin. And uh, one of the experiments that we have done to show that uh, this can, you know, have other applications beyond skin is to treat a worm. Uh, so this worm is called like C. elegans. And since this worm lives only 20 days, uh, we can feed this worm and see if this worm will live longer or if it will live healthier. And what we found is that the worms that we treated with our peptide, they not only lived longer, but they were able to move much more and they had more energy. So we were showing that if it works in worms to increase their energy and their lifespan, this can probably have applications to other tissues that are not related to the skin. Senescent cells today is considered what we call like one of the central hallmarks of aging. What's really, you know, the in the root cause of aging, and it happens in all tissues. So this is something that so we are going to explore in the, in the next few months. But we already yeah, so have some so indications that it can work for other tissues. Yeah. So it sounds like you, your goal is not necessarily to get or your product. Makes makes it so the senescent cells or the the healthy cells don't turn into senescent cells uh, as, as quickly. It sounds like so um, that's certainly uh, one one way to uh, tra- uh, address the problem. Uh, but why don't we pivot to the skincare industry as a whole? And we know, at least I know that you know I, f- I have firsthand knowledge in the industry. My girlfriend is a dermatologist, so and I helped launch her practice. And spending on skincare has gone through the roof during the pandemic. So how have you seen interest uh, and sales trend since the shutdown earlier in the year? Uh, and, and maybe what trends are you seeing within the industry that you think uh, are, are going to be hot a few years from now and maybe in the infancy right now? Yes. Uh, so we have noticed uh, two main trends. So, you know, as soon as they, you know, they, they, we, we went to shut down, uh, we saw all the retail stores closing down, right? So Macy's, Sephora, Ulta Beauty, and also the airline shops, uh, they closed. So the consumers, uh, they shipped like to online purchase. And we saw, yes, a spike on online purchase and, you know, social media. And, and even like clinics, you know, the, uh, dermal clinics, they, they were also affected by the pandemic. So this also uh, helped this shift uh, to online and e-commerce sales. And I've, I have, you know, other friends that, you know, own company and they are seeing, you know, a boost because of the pandemic in the sales for, for skincare. Uh, and we have seen another trend, and even like for big companies, for example, L'Oreal that has been affected, 
because of the pandemic, they they are being able to to go back now with the sales because they were able to shift to see a very interesting shift in the, in the behavior of the consumer. So initially they were betting more on makeup, and now we are seeing like this um, shift to skincare because now the coolest thing is to have you know a more like healthy skin and natural skin. So a lot of the products that they are launching are focused on, you know, promoting health and not only uh, covering uh, your skin or, or trying to, you know, uh, on, not being only a makeup. So L'Oreal, for example, has acquired three companies that are focused on active ingredients. So active ingredients are ingredients that will help, you know, your skin to function, to function better. Uh, last year, for example, we also saw, uh, Shiseido acquiring Drunk Elephant, that's, um, clean beauty skincare for $850 million. So we are seeing a lot of skincare that's more focused on, you know, clean products and also on the health of the skin, uh, to, to gain more, you know, attention from the consumers. And it's interesting if you compare, for example, with the beverage industry. Now, like, functional beverage is the hot topic, right? So we are seeing a similar trend uh, with cosmetics when you have, like, active cosmetics, you know, promoting skin health. This uh, is what is trending right now, much more than makeup and, you know, covering blush and, and things like that. Yeah, my my girlfriend's definitely seeing that with uh, with her skincare sales, and and just that's her her philosophy in general is less makeup, uh, really no makeup, mm-hmm. just uh, tinted sunscreen, and focusing more on the the health of the the skin and making sure it's functioning properly instead of constantly trying to cover it up. So, uh, and and that kind of applies to I think a, a lot of the consumer space, which is uh, more about. Uh, Having living a healthier lifestyle, uh, less chemicals, etc., uh, and, and certainly uh, this industry that you're in uh, plays to that. But also, uh, new technologies like what you have uh, certainly are important as well. So, uh, I appreciate you being on and giving us a, a broad overview of kind of the trends in not only the biotech industry but also the skincare industry. Uh, thank you, Car- Carolina Ray. Vera, I appreciate your time. CEO of One Skin, thank you for being on. Yes. Hey, my name is Marty. I'm calling from Pennsylvania. Now, looking at the clock, I think you can fit one caller question in before the break. So let's try that right now. Hey, my name is Marty. I'm calling from Pennsylvania. My question is about Plug Power. Ticker symbol is P L U G. Just want to get your thoughts on it and how well you think the green energy sector is going to do under the new presidency. Thank you. Bye. We're looking at Plug Power, and this is a fuel cell company. It's exploded in price since uh, March bottom around, uh, what, a dollar a share. Now we're at $23 a share, but they're still not making any money. And I think a lot of this is hype, uh, $8.6 billion market cap. So uh, for me, if unless fuel cells or they have come a long way, for years, fuel cells have been talked about as uh, the next great power source, right? Uh, and, but it's never been done profitably. 
and plug power hasn't had the profit either so i think a lot of this is hype uh you know the momentum is certainly there uh with the green energy space but i'm gonna pass on plug power until they can show me that they can make any money which they haven't been able to this is invest talk i'm justin klein and we have one goal here each and every day is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom so we're going into our final break so get your questions in right now at 888 chart Have you heard about Risalize? It's a brief question and answer form that you fill out online. Steve Peasley and Justin Klein will also get a copy of your responses. They can use the Riskalyze results to help you formulate a strategy that fits your investing risk tolerance. Learn more anytime and take the Riskalyze quiz at investtalk.com. Hey, Steve and Justin, this is Jake from California. Calling about Deer, ticker symbol DE. I picked this stock up at the beginning of this year and it has done really well for me. I do currently have a stop loss just to protect my, my gains and I'm just wondering what you guys think of the stock going forward. It does seem to be a little bit overvalued, but with a possible infrastructure bill coming, just wondering what you guys think of it in the future. All right. Thank you. Yeah, I do think Deer is pretty overvalued at these levels. You're talking enterprise value to EBITDA about 20, 21 actually. And historically, it tends to trade somewhere in the low teens, 10 to 12 range. Uh, and so to me, it's just, it's, it's gone ahead of itself. Technically, it looks like it peaked a few days ago on Monday with that big reversal. And so I would keep a tight stop on it. What I would do is use the 50-day moving average. It stayed above the 50-day pretty much since the since June and been following along that. It did test it once, which makes that a little bit weaker of support. But if it breaks that 50-day, which right now is at 200 and what about $30 a share right now trading at 248. So it's not too far off. If it breaks that, that would be an indicator that it's going to correct. You're going to have some sort of valuation compression here, and that's what's likely going forward. Still a great company. It's just gone way too far, way too fast. My value on this is closer to $175 to $180 a share. Right now it's at $248, so uh, certainly overvalued at these prices. Now... We just had a report on the U.S. government's fiscal situation for the month of October, and it was a record month, deficit of $284 billion. That was at 111% higher than October of last year, when it was only $134 billion. Now, I'm sorry. Yes. I'm, re- I'm trying to read this correctly. Okay. And then if you look at the full fiscal year, which ended in September, that was negative $3.1 trillion for fiscal 2020, more than tripling the 2019 fiscal year deficit, which was also about a trillion, but you're talking about $3 trillion, now over $3 trillion. Now, this year's fiscal deficit, and I know you're thinking this year, oh, it's still 2020. No, we're already in fiscal 2021 for the U.S. government. And it's likely to be between 1.5 and $2 trillion based on the, the Committee for Responsible Federal Budget. But that's without 
passing a stimulus package, which the Congress is still passing around or pushing back and forth a, a, an aid package somewhere in the $2 trillion range. So likely, even though this fiscal year or this past fiscal year, 2020 fiscal year was through over $3 trillion, it's likely to exceed that again next year, especially with multiple stimulus packages. Remember, that's two, only $2 trillion. And will that last us? Right? The last one was about three, and that only lasted about six months or so. Most fiscal packages last three to six months. Money gets out there, it moves around. Now, the previous one was very big, right? Three trillion was a record. Uh, if without that one, this next one would be a record, right? Of about two trillion. So certainly this one could last another six months, maybe a little longer. A lot depends on what type of economic impact the COVID surge has. Even though we might not have or likely won't have shutdowns, we will have a curb in economic activity. And if you actually look at the open table reservations, it's starting to decline again. So this is not something that governments are, are forcing. A lot of people say governments are shutting down the economy and that's the issue. Certainly that's a big problem. But if COVID cases are surging across the country, people are going to go out less, they'll travel less, they'll, they'll create economic activity a lot fewer times throughout the week. And so that is going to feed into the fiscal budget, the economic growth, tax receipts, etc. So certainly something to keep an eye on. And you know that gold prices and the dollar are inversely related to the the deficit. Excuse me, the dollar goes down with the deficit as the deficit goes up. So, uh, you know, this dynamic is something to continue to watch. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. I will return on Monday. Steve Pease will be here tomorrow with highlights from the newest KPP Premium Newsletter. You'll get insight and analysis from him. And in the meantime, please remember to tell your friends and family members they can choose from over 100 archived Invest Talk podcasts for free download over at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play, as well as investtalk.com, where you can also listen live streaming each and every weekday, four to five Pacific time. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights.